sermon text today is John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. And if you find it, would you please stand? John chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they had laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them was running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw that the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciples whom had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she saw, she wept. She stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they had laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposed to be, supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, in a ramic rabbonian, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, and your Father to my God, and your God. Mary Ragan went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again uh, today for bringing us here. We thank you again, as always, for your word for providing it for us, Lord, that we may have in printed copies you speaking to us and records of what you have done in our behalf. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, for what we're reading about here the, in this narrative of the um, suffering and death and resurrection of Christ. We thank you for the provision you've made for us, the propitiation for our sins in the person of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray as always that you open up our minds and hearts to your truth. Use your truth to change us. Lord, um, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth, just as we were discussing in Sunday school this morning. Father, we want to love you more. We want to do your will. 
So we pray, use your word, use your truth to that end. We ask that you bless this proclamation and hearing to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Salvation, um, the work that God does within a person in bringing them to Himself um, and then, you know, creating in us faith is a, uh, is a marvelous, marvelous work. Um, and it is, in some ways, what we're going to be talking about here, it is, in some ways, mysterious. And yet, um, plain in the sense that, you know, the evidence is there that it, that it happens, that it goes on. And I'm, I'm, one reason I'm saying that, I'm thinking of, of Jesus' description in John 3, where he talks about the new birth and, and uses the analogy of wind. And he, he says, um, you know, the wind blows and you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. There's the mysterious aspect. You can't, you can't trace it. You can't put your finger on it. You can't say it originated here or it is at this point or that point. But what you can see, nonetheless, even though there is much mystery, what you can see is the fact that it's blowing or that it has blown, you might say. If you've ever, um, you know, I like to think about Wendy this week. She, she awakens, I guess, to, to a tree up against her house. Well, that's pretty good evidence that, that there was some wind. So even though you couldn't lay your eyes on the wind and, and, and tell much about where it started and where it ended, um, you see the evidence. So there's a lot of mystery, and yet at the same time, um, that is mixed with objective reality that can, so, can be, can be a, a, a testified to so strongly that the, the apostles, for example, here in, in recording these things, talk about what they have seen and heard, and of course, sometimes they're meaning that quite literally, and and other times, um, it, it, it's it's um, a way of talking about how God uh, deals with us. We do the same thing. Um, we we see, as it were, with spiritual eyes, you know. So there's a reality that's objective and undeniable, and yet a lot of mystery involved. Now, one objective reality here is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, that is testified to here by the empty tomb. <laughs> the, women, the women first come to the tomb on the, on the first day of the week, the third day um, after Jesus is crucified, but the first day of the week, as John notes here, and find an empty tomb that no, no, no amount of work by the critics, and there are many. Don't, don't ever underestimate you know, how many people would like to discredit the Bible. Uh, and, 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 and I say don't underestimate. I mean, even in, in the day these things were happening. You know, sometimes we, we kind of think, well, you know, here we are 2,000 years later, and so how is a, how is a critic, how is a skeptic going to disprove anything 2,000 years removed? Well, they were, they were just as vehement uh, in Jesus' own day, and they would have quickly disproved these things had they been able to. The empty tomb was 
undeniable. The missing body was uh, undeniable. So that's an objective reality. The work, and this is what I'm going to focus on a little more, it's kind of, kind of the result of the resurrection, but the work of God going on in, in the lives of these believers, it's like the evidence of the wind having blown. It's there. It's objective evidence. You can see it. Their lives, are, in other words, their lives are changed. But how it all, how God is doing it all, how He's working it all, when He's actually doing it, or what stage they're at in various points, is mysterious. It's like the wind. You can't you can't tell where it's coming from, where it's going, where did it originate. But you know that it has blown. You know that it's blown. Um, sovereignly. I, I was one morning. I was as I'm, you know, as is my custom, so to speak. Uh, like to I study in public places usually. Did quite a bit of my studying in public places. I was sitting in a coffee shop in Bossier one morning. There were there were no, you know, I'm pretty pretty um, alert to these well alerts that they put out, you know, for for the weather. Um, we at where I work, we got hit by a tornado in 1996, and ever ever since then. Um, you know, it just kind of has heightened my <laughs> my level of interest <laughs> when when the weather's going bad, and so I'm you know I, I I pay attention to that stuff. But I'm sitting in this coffee shop in Bossier one morning. This has been several years ago now, and there were no alerts, nothing nothing like that, uh, other than it was just you know cloudy day and all that, and kind of a kind of a nasty day, but no no severe weather alerts. And all of a sudden, the the door <laughs> the door of that play had one of those glass doors, you know, and the door blows open. I'm telling you, that thing's standing wide open, and you could see, boy, you could see the wind going crazy, and, you know, the effects of the wind going crazy out there. And uh, the lady that runs, the owner, I guess, you know, she runs over there to shut the door. She looked kind of worried. She's talking about how bad it is out there. And I thought, wow, that's something. Uh, you know, wasn't expecting this. And uh, anyway, I, when I finished what I was doing, I, I left there, and I'm coming up 80 this way, and you all know where the all the portable buildings are there, where the McDonald's is on 80 and... Um, the portable buildings and all. Well, they were the portable buildings were some of them were scattered out across Highway 80, and just all torn up and pieces everywhere. And I called Leslie, and like I said, I I'd, I wasn't out of touch with like the radio or anything. And I, I called Leslie, and I said, "Boy, you know, if I didn't know better, I mean, it looks like a tornado blew through here." And sure enough, <laughs> a tornado blew through there. Apparently, nobody saw it coming, including the weather people. Uh, and it wasn't, you know, wasn't. I guess it was like a F1. It wasn't. It was a relatively mild one, but it did a lot of roof damage back in that um, neighborhood over there. But nobody saw it coming. You didn't know where it came from, so to speak, or where it was going. Um, but you certainly saw the effects. Portable buildings thrown out across Highway 80. Roofs, you know, pieces of roof roofing gone all through that um, through that subdivision over there. And just you know, debris everywhere, and and you can tell powerful, powerful wind has been through here. Well, all that to say this: there's a there's a transition taking place here in the lives of these believers. I really think that is what John is highlighting here. And one reason I say that is because of his uh, his um, purpose verse that we we talked about several times here in chapter um, 
20, in this same chapter, in verses 30 and 31, he gives his reason for writing the gospel. Now, and he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, that is, in his book, the Gospel of John. But these are written so that you may believe. Now, that's, that's a major theme in John's gospel. He, he, he brings that up repeatedly. He records Jesus bringing this up repeatedly. That you may believe. That you may believe. Verses like John 3.16, you know, God sent his own Son into the, to the world, only begotten Son of the world, so that whoever believes may have life. So this is a major theme. I'm writing these things so that you might believe, and so that believing you may have life. Again, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And remember, that's an that's a, um, important uh, statement for, for the Jews who were anticipating the, the coming of the anointed one, the Messiah, the, the Jewish Messiah. And John, John is saying explicitly, this is the one. Jesus is the Christ. And so I'm recording these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. The idea being that you may understand that He's the Christ and come to uh, a saving knowledge, that is, come to faith, believe in, trust in Him, trust that He is the Christ, that He is King of kings and Lord of lords, trust that He is the only Savior, trust that He died for your sins, Trust Him for eternal life. And so that believing, um, uh, write these things so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Major, major theme in this gospel. And I think that what we're seeing play out here is, if, if I can hopefully say, say it in a, in a way that's not confusing, but it's like being in the midst of that windstorm and you're you're at some point where the wind is blowing and maybe you know getting stronger and so the evidence is you know sometimes sometimes there's a slight breeze and you can barely feel it or barely notice it you know, especially if you're indoors or something like that. But if a tornado comes along, even if you're indoors, you're going to be aware of that because the evidence gets so powerful. And it may have started with a slight breeze, and you didn't pay attention. A little while later, you know, maybe you heard something bang up against the house, but, eh, you know, that could have been anything. So you didn't pay much attention. But, you know, eventually when all the windows blow out, it gets your attention. Or like that coffee shop, when the door blows, blows wide open by itself, that, that, tends, that kind of thing tends to grab your attention. And you go, wow, you know, you notice the power. So I think where we're at here in John 20 is the wind is blowing, which is not new. It's been blowing on these people. But it, it's, it's increasing in power, and therefore the evidences are increasing. And so John singles out several people here, um, about four different people, um, and three of which we're going to look at this morning briefly, uh, Mary uh, Magdalene, Peter, and John, John himself. The fourth one will be Thomas, and Lord willing, we'll, we'll, we'll get to Thomas tonight. Um, these people's lives, and here's the point, these people's lives are being 
radically changed here. Because their understanding of who Jesus is is undergoing a radical transformation here. Now, it's not that they didn't already know Him or believe on Him. I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but we're going to, we're going to see here in verse 8, John says, and he's talking about him, I believe he's talking about himself here. I think he is the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so he says in verse 8, when he saw the empty tomb, he believed. And he saw, he's putting it in the third person, but he's talking about himself. And he saw and believed. Well, that almost makes it sound like John just became a believer just then. Now he, we would say, John got saved. Now that's not real accurate. Applied here, and I think, frankly, a lot of times it's not real accurate when we apply it to ourselves. Because what we're doing is evaluating the evidence of the wind blowing, and we're using that a lot of times as, you know, the point at which we recognize um, that, that well, well, now the wind must be blowing. Well, again, to use the coffee shop analogy, the wind was blowing before it blew the door open, but I was unaware of it until that happened. At that point, it got so strong that uh, I knew what was happening. Now, there's, there's a storm. There's a wind storm. So a lot of times, we're, we're judging by evidence, but like Jesus said, there's this, there's this mystery. You know, the wind, first of all, blows where it wills. And secondly, it's essentially undetectable in terms of, I mean, you, you, you can't, in terms of, you know, it's very substantive. You can't tell where it originated, wh which way it's going, where it's going to hit next, where it's going to wind up. But you do see the evidence. So we start, um, and, well, let me just finish that thought. I was going to say, I, I, you, we may get the impression, well, John just now becomes a believer in Christ. No, he's been following Christ for three, three and a half years. So he's already known Christ. He's already believed on Christ. Is the Spirit then just now working in his life? Well, I would say no. No. The Spirit's been at work in John. And all the, and all the uh, at least the, the 11, um, the Spirit has been at work in them. If, if, it, if the Spirit were not working in their lives, there would be no evidence of life, but there's been abundance of evidence of life in these men. They follow Christ. They love Christ. They believe He has the words of life. They believe He is the Christ. But there's a whole lot they don't understand, and that is what is changing. Things are being brought to light. So, I'm going to go back and start with Mary in verse 1, and, and, and I'm just going to give you two points here. And, and, and the, the way I want to kind of sum this up, the way that we're approaching this, is... Um, I'm just going to I'm just going to call this a, the, the the break of day. And I want you to kind of have that picture in your head where you're you're like you're standing at at dawn, and and there's a, a mixture which is sometimes mysterious itself <laughs> between light and dark, but the day is breaking. It's dawning. So let's start with with the darkness, and I I think this is important in John's Gospel. He uses this um, as a metaphor many times. So, for example, 
back in, in chapter 1, uh, he speaks of, of Jesus as the eternal word, as being light that came into the world. So um, in chapter 1, verse 4, John says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Good news, by the way. Um, but John is using darkness as a metaphor for, and he does this in, in several times, but as, as evil, or you might think of it in terms of just the, you know, the world, the world system, um, which you might characterize as godless. So, so it's, a, it's a metaphor for godlessness. Blind, you know, which that's another metaphor, but blind, blindness, you know, being blind to the things of God. That's why it's dark, because the world is, is essentially oblivious to the truth of who God is and what He's about and what He's doing. And so there's a lot of bad things, just like in our day. There are a lot of bad things happening in the world. There's, there's evidence of godlessness. And Jesus, who is the light, shines in the darkness. Now, there are other passages we could go to, but that's, that's just one example of how, how John uses darkness as a metaphor for evil or, you know, for uh, a, a godless world. But there's another way in which he uses it. I think that it's more subtle, but... I think unmistakable, um, I don't think it's too much of a, of a stretch here. Three times, I'm going to give you one here, but three times in reference to Nicodemus, John refers to Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. Now, if, if you tie that in, again, with, with, with the repeated use of his metaphor, darkness as representing evil, and then other occasions where he uses it symbolically like this, um, I, I think there's significance there. In other words, G Nicodemus is approaching Jesus in a darkened state. It's historic, it, it, it is a literal fact, an historical fact, that he approached him at night. I mean, John's not making that up. That's, by the way, that's uh, chapter 3, verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, And the other two occasions where John refers to Nicodemus, he repeats that again, interestingly. This is the one who came to Jesus by night. So you've got a picture of there of someone bound in darkness approaching the light, and, and light is being shed. And I think in, in Nicodemus' case, it's, it's breaking through, overcoming the darkness. So, on one hand, you've got the, the, the plain metaphor. You know, John says light came into the world and, and, and um, confronted the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So there it's a, there's a very straightforward, plain metaphor, darkness representing evil or godlessness. And on the other hand, you've got these subtle, symbolic uses. And I think uh, another one of those, by the way, is, is when... Um, and, and you notice I'm using the... the the terms night and dark, I probably should explain that. I'm using them somewhat interchangeably. They're two different terms, but obviously 
when you, when you say it's night, the implication there is that it's dark. So Nicodemus came to Jesus by, by night. And then when Judas betrays Jesus, um, we're told that he goes out um, from them. You know, Jesus says, go and do what, what you do quickly. And we're told that Judas goes out and it is, it is dark, John says. And I think the same thing is happening there. In other words, it's symbolism, just, just symbolic of that, that Judas is really stepping into the darkness in a major way. In fact, it's characterized by saying that Satan entered, the, the reality of it is characterized by saying that Satan entered, uh, entered him. And, so, and then the symbolism is, you know, it was dark or it was night. I think that's what's happening here as well in John 20. Verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. While it was still dark. Now, while it's, while it's, let me just say this. While it's possible that I'm making too much of the symbolism, I'm going to confess that. While it's possible that I'm making too much of the symbolism, Nevertheless, the way that I'm going to apply it, I think, is, is undeniable here. In other words, this transition that's going on, this transformation in the understanding of these believers. And so Mary comes to the tomb on the first day of the week, and she's expecting to find a body. And if you read the Gospels, it's, it's hard, all four Gospels, it's hard to, to piece all the events together. Um, I'm, in fact, when I wrote the song, Don't Look for Him in a Grave, which was many years ago now, but that's, that's what I did because I wanted to be, to be accurate with it uh, in, the, in the first verse there. And so I, you know, I read through the, different, uh, the four different accounts and I tried, to, I tried to, to, to put the verse in chronological order and hopefully I got it right, but, it, but it's difficult to tell exactly the chronology. But it does seem in every case that you know, Mary is the, the first one there, Mary Magdalene, and then there are other women that, that come as well. But here, here John makes a point of telling us she comes while it is still dark. So if we do take, if we do understand that John is, once again, he's subtly slipping in some symbolism there, then I think it kind of helps paint the picture. Because the disciples aren't coming expecting to find an empty tomb. They're, they're not coming dancing and rejoicing. And, oh, it's the third day and He's going to be up and everything's going to be good. Hallelujah. It's dark. It's still night for them because they don't understand. Jesus had plainly told them He's going to suffer. He's going to be crucified. Third day, going to rise again. He had plainly told them that, but it just went right over their head. They didn't get it. And so they're, they're, not, they're not, at this point, it's going to change, but at this point it's like they're not living in the light of the third day. It's still night in their souls. They're in darkness in regard to, well, just think of it in terms of hope. Kind of a hopeless state. Because they don't understand. Now, it's not that they've quit believing in Jesus. It's not that they've uh, walked away from the faith, so to speak. 
but they're thoroughly confused because they don't really grasp who Jesus is fully, and they don't yet understand why He had to die fully and the fact that He's going to rise again, or at this point He is risen again. And so she comes while it is still dark. And that is the case, not only in the soul of Mary, again, to use the symbolism, that is the case, not only in her, but with all the disciples. It's night as far as they're concerned. They have lost their Master. And if you can imagine just just giving your life over to this man for three, three and a half years, following him, he's calling the shots. You're going everywhere that he goes. You're, you're, you're investing totally in Him. All of a sudden, He's gone. He's out of the picture. Now, you've walked away from job and family and everything. And all of a sudden, it seemingly, everything's just up in the air. Everything's blown apart. Everything that you, again, seemingly, everything that you had anchored yourself in seems to have crumbled. And that's why you don't find any of them coming with great excitement. But it's just like the song that I sang earlier, The Darkest Hour is Just Before the Dawn. And this is a dark hour for the disciples. But the dawn is breaking in more ways than one. And that's, that's the second point the breaking light. So you've got the the darkness and now the dawn, if you want to put it that way. The darkness and the dawn. That's literally dark here. John is definitely describing that. It was still dark, but again, as I said, I think he's also subtly describing conditions, their understanding, their emotions. But the light's about to break through. The day, the day is dawning. It's a new day in a very unique way. Now let's go back to Mary. She finds the tomb empty and she runs and she tells the others, verse 2, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple who again, um, he's described here as the disciple, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. I think that's John referring to himself in a... Uh, in a rather humble way. In other words, he doesn't um, embellish, you know, by, by, or he doesn't put his name in there, and, you know, I, John, and so forth. Um, but he, he uh, is, I think this, this is him describing himself. So you've got Peter and John now running to the tomb um, after Mary's report. Now, she, here's what she says, again, in verse 2. She said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, <laughs> there's at this point she's not by any means um, understanding, but things are happening. Things are, are are exciting emotions and exciting the understanding. There's a there's now a, a quest. He's gone, and we don't we don't know where they've laid him. They've taken. The Lord, in fact, I suspect when she says Lord here, and I'm, I'm just saying this to kind of emphasize, she doesn't have full understanding yet. She says they've taken the Lord. She probably just means that in the, 
in the um, just just the common way they would use the term. It's kind of like we do, sir, uh, or you know how the the British will use Lord, uh, like we use Sir Lord, or they could mean the Lord, but it's the same word, L-O-R-D. Well, that's the way it is with this the Greek word behind this uh, this word Lord as well, kurios. It, it can be used with, with the, uh, the meaning of sir. Uh, in fact, I think that's precisely how it's used further down in the passage when she thinks she's speaking to the gardener. Or it can mean Lord with the idea of Yahweh, the one true God. And you, you always have to judge by context. So here she's probably just meaning, you know, in the sense of our Lord, our, meaning our teacher. They've taken the Lord, and we don't know where they've laid him. So verse 3, Peter went out with the other disciple, John, and they were both going toward the tomb. Both of them were running. Now remember what I said, what's happening here? Things are happening. The wind is blowing. What's happening is it's getting stronger and the evidences are getting stronger as well. So the, the emotions and, the, and the, the understanding, they're being excited, although they're not fully understanding yet. Something's happening, and it's got their interest up, and they go, and they don't just go, they don't just stroll down there, and this is why I think there's evidence, again, for what I was saying, their, 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 their emotions and, and, and uh, curiosity and whatever else is being excited here. They run to the tomb. Now, we know from the, other, from the synoptics, they get these reports, and they just kind of blow them off. It's like they don't really believe it, but, but at the same time, they go sprinting down there. And you just kind of wish you could, you could have watched this, right? You know, Peter running, and then John just trucks right on by him. You know I mean? He's gone. I don't know. Maybe he was younger. <laughs> but, or he just wanted to get there, you know, more. I don't know. But he, he passes him up. The other disciple, again, John talking about himself, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Now, the wind's blowing. And they're seeing things. Things are unfolding in their experience right before their eyes. And there's no instantaneous point where all of a sudden it all becomes clear to them. But... They're going in that direction. The Lord is taking them in that direction. And I think it's, it's just, I mean, that, that's one of the things that just fascinates me, period, about how the Lord works. This, this book that we hold in our hand, from Genesis 1 to Revelations 21, there is progressive revelation. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, that, that God didn't, when he spoke to Moses, he didn't just hand him the whole, you know, here it is, Genesis through Revelation, here's the whole story, bam, drop it in on him. He didn't do that. And then all throughout the Old Testament, little by little, or as the prophet says, line upon line, precept upon precept, he's, he's unfolding his redemption plan. And little by little, 
more light is shining. It's like, you know, just kind of gradually opening a door. If you're in a dark room and you open a door where there's light on the other side and, and you just kind of gradually open that thing up and the light just begins to consume the room little by little. And so God just unfolds His plan. And then you get to the New Testament and there is a big bang there, I guess we could say. All of a sudden, bam, Jesus is on the scene and there's great light. But, He's still unfolding. The disciples, just as we're seeing here, they don't comprehend it all. And God will use the next few decades to unpack it, so to speak, as they live out their lives and as they write the epistles and the narratives and so forth. God will again progressively make His truth known, His redemption known known. And one reason I point that out is because that seems to me to be a common way that God works. And so, even though now we have the fullness of the revelation God has given for uh, His people on this earth, in other words, there's not going to be any more Scripture written. That's it. But, in terms of our own individual Understanding, well, not even just individual. We could even say this as a, as a body, as, the, as this body, church, Fillmore Baptist Church, the church at Fillmore. And we could say it as about the universal church, the church as a whole, worldwide. We are gradually growing in our understanding. And that's what God does. He, I mean, he doesn't, just, he doesn't just, bam, there it is. You know, Two seconds ago, you were lost and undone, and now you're a totally, complete, mature Christian. It doesn't happen that way. So, <laughs> and just rejoice, take a minute, and say, "Thank the Lord, I'm not the only one." Okay, that that you know, because I mean, you identified with that statement. You know, that's that's me. It hasn't happened that way. It hasn't happened that way with any Christian. God just, He's patient, and He. And he gradually unfolds one way or another, whether it's um, his special revelation like we have in his word, or whether it's his um, growing un- the understanding of an individual believer, or maturing a body, like he speaks about in, in Ephesians, which would certainly uh, apply to us, even as a local body. He, he, he does it gradually. He just kind of brings us along. We see so many picture this, pictures of this, don't we, in... in uh, in, in God's creation. Um, you know, I'm the kind of person that I would be a farmer if, uh, if I could plant the seed, you know, this evening and come back and have a full crop the next morning. I would probably get in on that. Because that's the way my patience level works. I mean, you know? Unfortunately. Because that's not the way God is. God is patient. And He just not in a hurry, and he just brings things along and, and grows them and matures them for his own glory. So he's, he's revealing truth here, specifically here in the form of an empty tomb. And, and they are kind of just hit with that, aren't they? Well, they are and they aren't. Jesus told them about it. They just didn't get it. And so they come the first day of the week, and bam, there it is, the empty tomb. They weren't expecting it. They should have been expecting it, but they weren't expecting it. And there it is, and now they're trying to process it all. 
I mean, the, the night, the darkness that we have in verse 1 is, is being invaded by the light in a, in, a, in a powerful way. The darkness is being penetrated. The darkness in their own hearts. Now, we know from... What, what we have here is John telling us what goes on in his heart in verse 8, and I'll come back to that in a minute. We know from Luke that... Um, Peter just kind of walks away. It's, it's probably just another way of saying the same thing. Peter kind of walks away mulling these things over. You know, he's marveling, puzzling over these things. Which is, again, probably another way of saying the same thing John is saying about himself here. He's, he's processing this, but he, but he now believes. Verse 8, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, Peter went in before him. Now he also goes in. And when he, he went in and he saw and believed. And by the way, that's, that's going to be um, important. So just, just remember that. Uh, we'll, probably, we'll probably come back to that tonight. Uh, because when Jesus is dealing with Thomas, uh, he's going to say in verse 29, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. I think John's already setting that little episode up uh, here using his own experience. John's saying, I saw and I believe. Now, they should have, really, they should have already believed, but nevertheless, the wind got really strong here. <laughs> and, and they believe. And I think I'm safe in saying they. We know for sure John. He says, he saw and he believed. Well, what did he believe? Is this, is this John coming to faith in Christ? Can we call John a Christian now? From this point on? And people debate these things. I'm going to give you my take on it, which hopefully is right, because that's what I want to be. That's, that's where I want to be. You know, I want to be, I want to be communicating what the Word teaches. No, I don't think he's saying he came to faith here. He's been a believer in Jesus Christ. He's been following Jesus all this time. The work of the Spirit is not new, totally new, on the day of Pentecost, nor here. Now, there's something new going on there. But it's not that the Spirit hadn't worked before that. It's not that the Spirit hadn't indwelt believers before that. It's not that the Spirit wasn't doing His regenerating work before Pentecost. Of course He was. That's why there were saints all throughout the Old Testament why John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit in the womb. So, I would say here, John's a believer, but he's got a long way to go in his understanding. And I think the belief that he's referring to here has to do with, specifically with what is going on here. When the women first came and reported the empty tomb and that the Lord's body was gone, it was as though they were communicating idle tales. I mean, the disciples just didn't really give much credence to what they were saying. They didn't believe. But now John sees for himself and he believes. So what does he believe? That the tomb is empty. That the Lord is risen. 
that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, I think that's probably at this point about as far as we can take it. As a matter of fact, John says, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. So even at this point, they're not understanding that this is fulfillment of Scripture. This had to be done. Psalm 1611, for example, You will not leave my soul in Sheol, in the grave. That had to be fulfilled. But they, weren't, they didn't understand that prior to this. John's not understanding that at this point. He says they did not understand the Scripture. Later they will get it. And that's, of course, one of the things that will happen at the day of Pentecost and post-Pentecost. They are enlightened to the point that all of these things come together and they can go out informed and empowered to preach the gospel to all nations. But here, a lot of the information is still coming. And so John says he saw and he believed. And then we go back to Mary quickly. Verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid Him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now remember, it's dark. Not, not just, you know, outside, but in the heart of Mary. She is grieving and not understanding. I say remember that because we may wonder when we look at this, now why did she not recognize that this was Jesus? And we could come up with several reasons. I mean, perhaps it was because she was weeping, you know. So, I mean, when you're crying hard, you don't see clearly. Perhaps it was Jesus just um, supernaturally, you know, keeping her from recognizing Him. Whatever the case is, precisely, um, she didn't understand that this was Jesus. She should have been looking for Him, right? Because He told him He's going to rise again. But she wasn't. She's in darkness. And now the light is breaking through. Supposing Him to be the gardener, she said to Him, Sir, that's the same word, kurios, I mentioned earlier, can be translated Sir or Lord. In this case, it's translated Sir. I think rightly so. She's not calling this man a deity because um, she doesn't realize that it's the Lord at this point. She's just being respectful. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, well, that's all it took. Wasn't it? When, when, he, when he spoke and when he spoke in that personal way, when he spoke her name, that was like a tornado hitting. I mean, the, the, wind, the wind just blew open the door. Wham! And she turned and said 
In Aramaic, I mentioned before that was the language commonly spoken by them. Rabboni, which is, again, Aramaic, but it's the same as rabbi, or John translates here, teacher. She knew, she knew that it was him suddenly. Now, here's, here's what I want us to catch in this last little part. We're going to kind of skip over verse 17 here. We'll, Lord willing, come back to that tonight. But now she knows who He is. Rabboni, teacher. And Jesus says, Do not cling to Me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to My brothers and say to them, I am ascending to My Father and your Father, to My God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, the Kurios. Now, just a moment ago, she used that same word. Now, as I said, it's translated sir. I think correctly so, because she thought she was speaking to a gardener. But you know what happened now? Now she's got a, a, an awareness that she's talking to the risen Lord. The lights come on. John says, I looked in the tomb, and then I saw and I believed. And Mary heard his voice say, Mary, Mary. And she knew immediately, Teacher, Rabboni, it's you. And she went and told the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Now, I, think she, I don't think she means sir this time. She understands that she just had an encounter with the risen Lord. So there's a transformation taking place in the understanding of the disciples. They were already followers of Jesus, but now they are being brought to a fuller understanding, which again is, is going to really come to a crescendo, so to speak, as we are with all the believers on the day of Pentecost when God just pours out His Spirit upon them and they are filled with the Spirit. Now let me just leave us with a couple of thoughts here or questions. Who do you understand Jesus to be? And it's rather amazing, isn't it, that these disciples could follow Him 24-7, be so close to Him, and not realize who they were in the presence of? Isn't that astounding? And you want to point your finger at them and say, you, you are so foolish. But, wouldn't it be true to say that we do the same thing? That we spend so much of our time, and here we are, with the indwelling Spirit of God. That is, we, we never, and this is so glorious, isn't it? We, we never go a single second outside of the presence of God. And I mean in a favorable way. No, nobody's outside God's presence in one sense. Nothing goes unseen by God. He's, he's everywhere and He's overall. But I mean in the favorable presence. We're always before His face, living before His face. And that's a glorious truth. But don't we spend so much of our time not fully realizing that?
that the one with whom we have to do is the risen Lord of glory. King of kings, Lord of lords. The one who created all things, by whom all things were created, through whom all things were created, for whom all things were created. The one who gives life and breath to all. That's our Lord. And He's the Lord. Now we're going to see as we move on. I'm going to I got to stop here, but we're going to see as we move on that more revelation comes and the understanding gets fuller. And you and I are in a in a very privileged place because we've got all of these things recorded, written down for us. We can go to and we can see the whole picture. And yet, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll be satisfied with a a deficient view of Christ. In the life of a Christian, the work of the Spirit is mysterious and you can't always put your finger on it, you know, and, and where, where you were at in it in particular times. Because sometimes the breeze was so slight that the evidence just wasn't real strong. Then other times, he's blowing like a hurricane and the evidence is everywhere. And so while it's hard to put our finger on exactly where we're at sometimes or where other people are at, what the Spirit is doing, where... Nevertheless, there's this objective fact that when He blows, when, when, when God is doing something, when the Spirit works in the life of an individual or in the life of a church, there's evidence. There's evidence. Always evidence. It's gradual, small, other times big, but it's always there. So they were in a dark time, but the light broke through. They went from the night to the brightness of day in the presence of the living Savior. Would you stand? And as we dismiss, let's just thank the Lord, you and I, <laughs> you and I, because, because we have God's Spirit at work in us. I mean, if, if, if you know Him, right? If you know Him, if, you, if you're here this morning, you can say, I know Him, I know that... I know Him. I know that He died for my sins. I know that I have life in Jesus Christ. You and I are living in the light. That is, we, we walk and live in the very presence of the living, sovereign, glorious Lord. Jesus. In that sense, it's always daytime. Always. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your Word and for Your magnificent work that You perform in the lives of individuals, in corporate bodies like we have represented here today, churches, 
local churches, the universal church, you're always at work. And there's mystery in that, and yet there's always evidence. Lord, we thank You for Your truth. We thank You for Your patience your steadfast love for us and the way that You grow us. Bring us to knowledge of You in the first place and then increase it as we live out our lives. Thank You for Your indwelling presence. And we do pray, Lord, enable us to live in such a way that people would look and say, look, it's, it's obvious the wind has blown there. I see a lot of a lot of evidence. So that you may be honored and glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.